Section 17 of David and His Friends. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. David and His Friends. A series of revival sermons by Lewis Albert Banks. The Sinner his own jailer. Quote, so I gave them up unto their own heart's lust, and they walked in their own counsels. End quote. Psalm 81, verse 12. God here makes an appeal to history. He calls attention to the fact that the sorrows and woes that came upon the Israelites in their wanderings in the wilderness did not come upon them because he was indifferent to their needs, or failed in his love toward them, or in his willingness or power to bless them. The reason was that they refused to hearken to his counsels. They refused to permit their lives to be guided by the Lord. Like a stubborn horse, they took the bits between their teeth and went their own way, until, at last, God gave them over to their own heart's lust, and they went whithersoever they would. We all know what the result was. Plague after plague, trouble after trouble pursued them. The graves of lust had their share. The stinging serpents came in for their part of the revel, and for forty years the wanderings of a stubborn and wicked people could be traced by the graveyards they left behind them, where they had buried the victims of sin. Now my theme tonight is very simple and easy to understand, yet it is exceedingly important and often overlooked. The essence of it is this, that no man is ever held in bondage to sin or ever finds himself in misery and shame and woe because of sin on account of any arbitrary decree of God. Men say foolishly, the God that I worship is too kind and too gracious to punish sin. If these blind people would only look about them, they would see that the God whom they worship is not so kind and gracious but that the drunkard gets a red nose and a blear eye and a bloated body, a trembling hand, a staggering limb, an aching head, and a degraded heart. The God whom they worship is not so loving, but that the man who gives himself over to vice and dissipation carries the record of it in his body and plants there the seeds of disease and shame which brand him with a mark as enduring as Cain's as long as he lives. It is the height of foolishness to talk about the God who does not punish sin. It is not that God is not loving, but that sin carries within itself the seeds of sorrow and death. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. God is love, and his love is beyond all our thought and conception. He sees things in us to love when we are unlovely to any human eye. 
But even the infinite love of God does not take away our power to choose and decide for ourselves. And a man may refuse God's counsel, and he may say no to Christ's love. And knowing that the wages of sin is death, he may still take the bits between his teeth and go recklessly on to his undoing. And if he does that, you have God's word for it, and you have all history to back it up, that there will come a time, and when that time comes, no man can foretell, when God will stop interfering with him. He will simply let him alone, and give him over to his own evil ways, and after that, the man will hold himself bound by the chains of his own sin until on the day of judgment he stands before the great white throne. All history is full of illustrations. Hosea says, Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. You have the same teaching there that we have in the text. There is no declaration of vengeance against Ephraim. There is no desire he shall be miserable. But miserable he must be when he is left alone by God. When God ceases to disturb a man in his sins, and he goes on thinking God has forgotten, it does not mean that God has forgotten. It means that God has given over the keys of his life into his own wicked hands. So long as a father has any hope of saving his son from ruin, he cautions him, he counsels with him. Sometimes he appeals to his better nature. Sometimes he rebukes and chides and punishes. All his dealing has the one purpose and is born of his great love for his son, and because he still has hope that he may bring him back from his folly and cause him to learn wisdom. But when the father has lost hope that anything he can do will help his son, he lets him alone. If he has decided to disinherit him, and though it tear his heart to cease to interfere with him and to arrange all his plans as though he were not living, then he will say nothing more to him. The day of rebuke, of discipline, of chiding has passed away because the day of hope is gone. So God says to us that if a man goes on in his sins and will not hearken to God's counsels, will not be taught by the divine discipline which shows him the folly of his sin, will not heed the appeals that call him to repentance, will not respond in gratitude to the love of Christ, the time will come when the Lord will give him over to his heart's lusts and let him go on in his own ways. Esau sold his birthright for a mess of pottage, and God let him go on in his own way. There came a time, we do not know how long after, when Esau would have given everything he had on earth if he could have bought back that birthright. But though he sought for it with tears, he found no place for repentance. Repentance means more, you see, than being sorry because you've sinned. It means changing your conduct and going the other way. Samson dallied with sin 
and played with it as a man might play with a dangerous serpent. He knew his danger, but he was self-sufficient in his own eyes and presumed on God's patience with him. So there came a day when Samson passed under the shearers and his strength was taken from him. He did not know that he had lost it at first. When the alarm came, he said to himself, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. He thought it could shake off the spell which his sin had over him. He thought it could shake off the results of his sin as a man shakes sleep from his drowsy eyes or shakes dust from his coat. But alas, it was too late. God had left him. The word says, he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. Left to his own ways, ruin came speedily. He is tortured by his enemies. With only blackened holes where his eyes used to be, he grinds corn for the bread of his enemies as though he were only a huge beast of burden. God had simply abandoned him to his own heart's lust. He had given him over to his own way. There is always something very pathetic about anything that is abandoned. An abandoned farm where the field used to be filled with busy activity in the springtime and where later the waving billows of grain rose and fell before the wind. The orchard that once was kept neatly pruned and where the children played and the birds built their nests and all watched for the first ripe apples of summer. The garden nearby, that once was the object of so much care, now desolate. The front yard that used to have its long rows of hollyhocks and sweet williams, the porch where once hung fragrant roses, the house that was the abode of love and joy, where dwelt hearts full of all the hopes and fears the plans and purposes that animate men and women and little children, a house made sacred by births and marriages and deaths, all now desolate and despoiled. The front gate is broken down. Great clumps of weeds have displaced the hollyhocks and other flowers. The roses have been torn from the rotting porch. The window panes are broken out of the house which is given over to the bats. It is a sad thing, an abandoned home. An abandoned ship is also a sad picture. It started out from port with laughter and joy and hope. It had a precious cargo. It carried passengers full of courage for the voyage. Some going home after long journeys in foreign lands weary with travels, lonely with exile from loved ones, hummed over again and again to themselves, home, home, sweet home. Others, starting for a new world, leaving failures behind and hoping for successes before, trusted all to the ship beneath their feet. But the storm came up. The ship was driven out of its course, the captain lost his reckoning, his chart was swept overboard, and in the blackness of the night and the tempest, 
the ship swung aground on a ledge of rocks. Every effort was made to get her afloat again, but she only settled the more solidly into her rough bed. The priceless cargo was thrown overboard in order to save the ship, but even that failed, and at last, when the sea threatened to break the vessel in pieces under their feet, and all hope of ever floating it again had been given up, the small boats were lowered, the passengers and the crew, and last of all the captain, went into them, and the wreck was abandoned. They rode away and left it to its fate. After a few days, perhaps, it will break down in the middle, and for a long time it may float about the sea, a huge derelict, the most terrible of all the enemies of living ships, and before it is finally destroyed and goes to the bottom, it may wreck some noble vessel and send a thousand human lives to their death. But all these are cheerful subjects for contemplation compared to the thought of an abandoned man or an abandoned woman, the soul made in the image of God, fitted for a high and lofty destiny that might hold communion with heaven, that might live a life so sweet and pure, so brave and splendid, that the angels would look upon it with admiration and delight, and yet drifted from its course, with compass gone, with reckoning lost, stranded and broken, abandoned at last by God and man, given up to its own lusts, to perish in its own evil ways. I thank God tonight that I am not preaching to men and women who have been abandoned, because God is still disturbing you in your sins. Even as I speak, your conscience, which is God's voice in your breast, is rebuking you for your transgressions and arousing within you shame and repentance. God help you to act on it tonight. The fact that you have such feelings is no sign that you will act on them or repent. It is only an indication that you may repent now if you will. No man ever had a more earnest call from God to salvation than Balaam. God sent his angel to stand with a drawn sword to block the path through which Balaam was going on his way to ruin. Balaam was brought tremendously under conviction of sin. He knew his duty without a doubt, but he neglected to do it until, at last, God ceased to disturb him, and he met a miserable doom among the enemies of God. Don't be deceived in thinking that it is a small thing when God says that he will turn you over to your own heart's lust. I can imagine that in folly some reckless soul might say, What do I want better than that? Just let me have my heart's desire. Surely that won't be very bad. Ah, uh, do you think not? To let the man who is getting fond of strong drink just go on getting more and more drunken, more and more like a beast, the hellish thirst for strong drink ever increasing in his parched and bloated body, 
his veins running with the fire of the insatiable longing until he cries out as others have done that even the fires of hell would be a refuge if it could quench this horrible and awful thirst do you think that means nothing to let the man or woman with impure thoughts and imaginations just go on thinking impure things and meditating on wicked and evil pictures until good thoughts come no longer until the mind is full to overflowing with unholy and bestial imaginations until after a while the soul loathes itself as a dirty thing until the man or woman wallows in moral filth do you think that means nothing to let the greedy man go on with his greed becoming more and more avaricious until at last honor and love and faith and truth and goodness are idle words to him unless they bring him in money until the soul is withered and dried up so that the one cry of the man's nature is for gain and grim and miserly unloving and unloved the man gets old in a hard and bitter and greedy spirit does that mean nothing to let envy and jealousy have their way until all life's sweetest blessings are poisoned until gratitude is a dried-up pool until thanksgiving is an unknown virtue until generous appreciation is never felt until a gossiping scandal-monger hated by everybody dreaded by everybody grows old in loneliness and despair does that mean nothing to let anger and hate have their own way to let them brood in the heart and hatch their young to let them seek for vengeance until a man watches on the path of his enemies that he may make life harder for everyone who has offended him until all love and generosity and forgiveness and gentleness are crushed down under the heel and a gruff, rough, brutal-hearted man hides in ambush, waiting for revenge. Does that mean nothing? But after all, any picture that I can draw is only a faint likeness of what it means to any one of us to continue to sin against God until he gives us over to our own heart's lusts and abandons us to our evil ways some of you it may be are quaffing the first drafts of sin and the intoxication of it is in your blood and you think that preacher maligns and slanders sin may god save you from the bitter dregs at the bottom of the cup george arnold a newspaper man in new york in the days of the civil war wrote a little poem entitled the lees of life it sounds like the sob of a man who has tasted sin to the bottom of the cup he says i have had my will tasted every pleasure i have drunk my fill of the purple measure it has lost its zest sorrow is my guest oh the lees are bitter bitter give me rest
Love once filled my bowl, running o'er with blisses, made my very soul drunk with crimson kisses. But I drank it dry. Love has passed me by. Oh, the lees are bitter, bitter. Let me die. May God save you from such a fate as that. And you may be saved if you will hear and now confess your sins and turn from them by repentance. The man who covers his sins will not prosper. But if you will turn to God and confess your sins, he has promised to forgive them and to cleanse your heart from all iniquity. Do not run the risk of delay. Do not drift farther on the wrong track, but turn to God here and now. End of section 17. Read by your book voice, Carrie Adams, Mesa, Arizona, August 21st, 2021.